known as one of the most prominent teachers of spirituality in the Western world. The Reverend Dr. John Philip Newell is an ordained Church of Scotland minister with a passion for peace among the great wisdom traditions of humanity. In 2011, he received the first ever Contemplative Voices Award from the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C., in recognition of his work in spirituality and peacemaking. His Ph.D. is from the University of Edinburgh, and he's authored over 15 books, including Christ of the Celts, Praying with the Earth, A New Harmony, and Listening for the Heartbeat of God. He joins us today in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about how we can listen for the heartbeat of God in all things that we do and how we all should be tuned to the echo of our soul. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play. I cannot begin to explain to you guys uh, how thrilled, how honored, uh, and just how grateful I am today for the conversation uh, that we're, we are about to have. A few years ago, um, you guys know that uh, wisdom crosses my path, and I, and I dig into it. An individual by the name of the Reverend Dr. John Philip Newell uh, from Scotland, I, I started to read his work and read his uh, words that he's put into the world. And I cannot say enough uh, good things about the beauty, the clarity, the joy, uh, just the simplicity that he's given me in my life in these last few years. I've reached out to him for a while, and we were finally able to make this call happen. All the way on the other side of the globe, he joins us today. So, John Philip, welcome to our table and our conversation. So thankful you're here. Thank you, Ashton. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So I, I guess before we get going, we, we kind of need to introduce you and your work in the world. For, for those of our listeners that maybe haven't crossed paths with you before, uh, how do you begin about you, your story, and your work in the world? I would describe myself as a, a wandering Celtic scholar in that <laughs> uh, ancient tradition of Celtic scholars often being peripatetic. So uh, I'm based in Edinburgh. This is where family is, and this is where I do a lot of my reflection and writing. Uh, but much of my teaching happens on uh, your side of the Atlantic and, and elsewhere in the world. Uh, so I focus on writing and uh, teaching. And then another important focus is leading international pilgrimage events mm. uh, on the island of Iona in Scotland. Mm. And so I, I, I know in uh, in your writings, Iona is a uh, a very deep and sacred place for you. Um, maybe for those of us that aren't very familiar with this this Celtic spirituality and, and connection to the sacredness of all things, how do you give just a bird's eye view into um, Celtic spirituality? Celtic spirituality is, as, as you've already uh, touched on, a tradition that looks for the sacred... Uh, at the heart of all things, at the heart of every human being, at the heart of every creature and life form. Uh, one of the most cherished images in the Celtic world that I draw on repeatedly in my in my work, but also in my life and spiritual practice, uh, relates to the memory that is so cherished in the Celtic world, the memory of John the Beloved mm. leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. 
And it was said of him in the Celtic world that he had therefore heard the heartbeat of God. And he uh, became a symbol of the practice of listening. Mm -hmm. Listening deep within ourselves, deep within one another, deep within all things for the beat of the sacred presence. And that's uh, an image that I return to again and again almost every time I uh, attempt to teach from within this tradition that image uh, is to the fore in, in terms of uh, a listening stance and, and listening expectantly for for the, the presence of the sacred in one another and and in all things. So that that's uh, an image right at the heart of this tradition and it pops up again and again in the great teachers of the centuries. And then uh, thematically, I, I would say that the, this tradition is characterized by two, two things that really distinguish it from much of our Western Christian inheritance. Um, and that is the, the belief that what is deepest in us is the image and likeness of God. Uh, uh, the Celtic teachers return again and again to this emphasis that what is deepest in us is of God rather than what is deepest in us being opposed to God. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, so much of our Western Christian inheritance, whether Roman Catholic or Protestant, has uh, emphasized that what is deepest in us is opposed to God or uh, uh, has used the doctrine of original sin to suggest that. The second uh, emphasis that comes across consistently and is very related to this first point uh, is that uh, everything that has being uh, is to be seen essentially as an expression of God uh, so that everything is a theophany or everything is essentially a showing or sounding of the one. So both of these points have enormous implications, of course, uh, enormous implications for how we view ourselves and one another, how we view people on the other side of the boundaries that have been created so often to divide us. Uh, and it has enormous implications for how we view the earth and how we handle the resources of the earth. Right, right. And, and, you know, what I love is with this tradition um, is in some circles, it, it, it may come across as new age. And yet this has been this has been the conversation for thousands and thousands of years that um, the sacred can be found in all things. Take care of the earth. Uh, we are one with this earth from which we came. Um, and really your first book, you know, one of your first books that I got into was listening to the heartbeat of God. Um, and I, I guess what you're getting at is there's no difference between the realm of religious experience and ordinary experience. The the whole thing is sacred and beautiful and full of wonder. Yes. I, I think one of the uh, perceptions that comes across in the uh, Celtic stream is that great moments of revelation uh, that we celebrate in our uh, uh, spiritual inheritances, great moments of revelation are pointing us not away from the ordinary, but rather are pointing 
to what is at the very heart of the ordinary. Um, I was um, doing some work this morning, in fact, on that wonderful story of um, the burning bush, Moses encountering Mm -hmm. the the bush that is on fire without being consumed and is aware of the living presence uh, at the heart of the the burning. And um, as one of my rabbi friends likes to say, the important thing about that story is not that the bush was burning, but that Moses noticed <clears throat> because every bush is burning, every bush is um, is alive with sacred presence. Mm. So, uh, you know, a story like that is is a good example of how uh, a primary point of revelation, I mean, in the Jewish tradition, that's really celebrated as one of the great moments of revelation. And what it does is is not, in a, in a sense, take us away from the ordinary, but invites us to look right into the heart of this moment, mm-hmm. um, right into the heart of your being and my being and everything that is around us uh, to look for that burning uh, presence of the sacred. So it's not this, um, the very notion of God is not something that you must go out, leave where you are to go find. It's that this moment is electric with the spirit. And I guess the conversation is, are we awake? Are we aware? Are we with the now? I think is how you write it sometimes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so would you say, I guess, the essence of this listening for the for the heartbeat of God and Celtic spirituality, that it's, it's really a spirituality of celebration? I think that's one of the biggest ahas that I've had, is that we do in the West sometimes begin with this conversation of the negative, original sin, which isn't even in the conversation that you guys have been having. <laughs> that yeah. it was good. It began good. It is good. Um, talk on that a little bit. Yes. Yes, the uh, the, the story of uh, the mystery of creation that we have in, in uh, the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, um, uh, at the end of the seventh day, uh, there's the... A statement and God saw all that had been made and behold it was very good and uh, in the Celtic world uh, that is celebrated not just as something that uh, was said in the past but uh, creation is something that is happening now mm. uh, uh, God is celebrated as the life within all life and uh, the the amazing journey of the universe is is that it is unfolding, expanding, moving into new form right now. And uh, this statement, and God saw that it was good, is an eternal statement. It's not bound by by time. That's good. Um, and um, so uh, the, it is not only a, a sort of invitation to celebration. Uh, I think it's an invitation to uh, adoration um, mm. as well as sort of adoring right. uh, the light at the heart of this moment and uh, adoring the, the light that is at the heart of the newborn child and, and every um, expression of life coming into being. And uh, an invitation to serve that light um, so that... Uh, Yes, it's um, 
it's a tradition that invites consciousness and awareness, but it leads very immediately and very naturally into action. How, mm-hmm. how do we care for the sacredness of one another? Uh, how do we care for the sacredness of refugee families who are looking for sanctuary in our nations? Um, how do we look for the uh, to look to care for the sacredness of the the life forms that are being threatened by our uh, neglect of of uh, ecological uh, attention? Hmm. It it really is a spirituality, I think, as I as I hear you process this with me, that that allows lines to vanish, that uh, separation vanishes, that I think you wrote once, and maybe you can explain this, the microcosm and the macrocosm are one. Um, ex- you know, hold my hand in that, because I think that's that's a significant, <laughs> significant idea. Yes. Well, um, in terms of the microcosm and macrocosm, relationship or interrelationship. I I think what is uh, being seen by so many of the great teachers in this tradition is that the um both the cosmic and the individual are are being celebrated. Hmm. Um and that what we see in in the birth of the particular in a particular child, for instance, reflects the um the cosmic yes, um, yes. Uh, body uh, that has come into being yes. and that um, the the particular cannot be well um, in isolation from the whole uh, and uh, and the whole cannot be well um, in neglecting the particular mm. um, so that um, I, I think what uh, one of the great teachers in this stream is the uh, French teacher uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who yes. was a, a French priest, scientist, and mystic. And like many of the teachers in this tradition, he, you know, he got into trouble um, because, of course, to speak about the sacredness of everything uh, is quite inconvenient often <laughs> to holders of power. <laughs> Um, so he uh, was a, t- a Christian teacher that was silent. They sent, they sent him for... off, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of his um, guiding principles that relates to the microcosm and macrocosm point is, he says, true union differentiates. Um, so uh, one of the things that we see in the universe is is that uh, it is forever wanting to differentiate. Uh, it's forever uh, producing new expressions of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet every expression of life uh, comes forth uh, in relation to the whole. Um, so that, you know, at some level, every atom in the universe is attracted to every other atom. And um, science doesn't claim to understand this. Science uh, describes this and uh, it's a beautiful expression of of the particular and the universal being in relationship well well yeah i love um reading chardin uh divine malu and all these different writings of his and and i think maybe it was one of your books 
either your book or another book I've read that, that recorded that there was a body of like young priests that would have to like be in hiding when they were reading his writings <laughs> that yes, back in uh, the, back in the day he was, it was like, no, 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 you can't, you can't read this guy. And then now everyone's going, well, he kind of had it dialed in actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. The, uh, the, the stories I've heard is that uh, when Teilhard's material finally uh, was published and and it wasn't published until the, after his death in 1955 because the uh, the Vatican had not allowed it to be published but um after his death it it was uh, published uh, because he had he had chosen to leave the rights to the book not to the church but to his personal assistant in in Paris hmm. So the books began to come out in the late 1950s, and I, I still meet uh, priests today and and sisters and others who were studying theology at that stage who have wonderful accounts of reading Teilhard de Chardin uh, under the covers at night, you know, with wow. a flashlight, and um, during, the, during the day having to strap his books under the mattress. Wow. And uh, I always feel, you know, this is exactly what theology should be uh, this you know, theology needs to be so exciting and right. so related to the unfolding journey of the earth and of humanity that we will read it no matter who tells us not to and um because when we read someone like Teilhard I believe we we know that uh something deep in us is being addressed yeah. and yeah. it it's calling us back into true and reverent relationship with the the heart of everything that has being. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree with you. Um, so you know, and one of the things that I love your the the names of your books are just meals in themselves. Um, one of those being the rebirthing of God. Um, and this, so I wanted I wanted to tell you this. I always write a note to myself at the end of these books. Um, and the and as I was going through my notes a couple of days ago. After the, after I read this, I wrote this. I have never been this in tune. <laughs> so you, uh, whatever happened in these these hundred pages or so, uh, spoke to me at a deep deep level. Um, and so thank you for that. With the rebirthing of God, um, and this is a huge conversation, uh, very centered in your teachings. What what caused you to write this book? Where what was your, the posture of your heart for this title and these words? Yes. Um, first of all, I, I should say how, how much I in, enjoy um, the the moment of um, discovering the right title f- for a book. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's um, it because I, I I do believe that a title should really. Um, represent a type of distillation of mm-hmm. of uh, the vision that one is trying to explore in you know a hundred plus pages um so that i always and it doesn't come easy for me i you know i find um it's often uh after a, a lot of stabs at a title that um that i will eventually be clear oh yes that that's what it is that's it and um and those uh, that those moments of clarity for me tend not to come 
by sort of sitting at the desk, sort of wrestling away with ideas, uh, so much as just paying attention to um, to an image that might come uh, after I've had my afternoon siesta, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> those are the those are the most creative moments, and then of course the work has to be done at the desk. Um, so thank thank you for noticing uh, yeah. about titles. Yeah. I think they are I think they are significant. Um, for me, the uh, the writing of of this most recent publication, the rebirthing of God, uh, Christianity struggle for new beginnings. I was um, uh, very much drawing on themes that have been with me uh, for for a few decades in my uh, writing and teaching life, but trying to, to bring some of that essential vision from from the Celtic tradition mm. uh, t- to this moment in time. Um, uh, in other words, to address some of what we're in the midst of in, in, in terms of the Christian household in the Western world. Um, and in many parts of the Western world, uh, what is happening uh, is a collapse and a collapse of Christianity as we have known it. And um, in parts of the Western world, in, in Scotland and in England, many parts of Europe, um, that that collapse can only be described as seismic. Mm. Um, in, a, in another 25 years or so, Christianity will simply not be as as we've known it. Uh, and one only has to look around uh, on a Sunday in most churches to realize that uh, it's not going to be as we've known it. So uh, that that was the particular occasion and, and critical issue into which I was trying to speak. I, I see three responses to this collapse uh, happening. One, one is... Um, uh, a tendency in some quarters to deny the collapse, to say, well, no, no, it's not happening. Um, and I don't believe there's any value in that in that response. Mm-hmm. The second is um, to say, well, yes, we're in trouble, um, but what we need is more of the same. <laughs> and, you know, we but we just need to do it more efficiently and maybe right. we need to change, change the window dressing and and I'm not in favor of that response either. Uh, so the book is really given to the third um, road or path at this moment in time. And that that is to say, well, what is it that's trying to be born? Uh, what is the new expression of devotion to Christ um, th- that's trying to come forward at, at this moment in time? Uh, so let's let's not primarily be frightened of the collapse, mm. but rather let's ask the deeper question of what's trying to come forth. So the book is really looking at what are the features of of what's trying to be born, and um, and these are not just sort of hyp- hypothetical ideas. What uh, the major features of the rebirthing? Uh, I believe we already have inklings uh, about. We already have some sort of intimations of, of what the rebirthing is going to look like. We're so much in the midst of it, of course, that we can't 
um, define it with great exactness and definition. But I think that there are characteristics of, of um, the birthing that relate very much to what, what is it we're yearning for? Mm -hmm. What are, the, what are the, the deep yearnings in the human soul at this moment in time? So one of the, the, the primary characteristics of the rebirthing is the, the desire to come back into relationship with the sacredness of the earth. And this earth consciousness, earth awareness is emerging, of course, not just within uh, uh, the Christian household. It's happening in, in nearly every major discipline of thought and study and reflection at this moment in time. But I think it's um, those of us in the Christian household are, are being called to pay to it, pay attention to it uh, in in relation to our inheritance and in relation to the the treasure of our wisdom and bring that to the world at this moment in time and, and serve this earth consciousness and earth earth awareness. So the first chapter is given to reconnecting with the earth. And some of the other chapters are, um, uh, I think it's the second chapter, is given to the the desire to move into into a true and reverent relationship with the wisdom of other great spiritual traditions. Um, you know, what what is this notion that has dominated so much of our inheritance that has uh, given us the impression that that we have all the wisdom that we need you know, within mm. the, the, the boundaries of our religious inheritance. Mm. Uh, this isn't how the universe operates. You know, the, uh, the universe operates through interrelatedness, through that beauty of interrelatedness that, that reflects the expression of God and in, in moving everything into being. Relationship itself. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know, just as the the species of the Earth need one another to be well, to be to be whole, so I believe uh, we need one another as wisdom traditions. Um, so these streams are given not to compete with each other. I believe they're given to complete each other. Mm. Um, so that that's um, a second thread in the book, and. Um, one of the other important ones, I mean, I, th I think they're all s significant, but certainly one of the things I'm hearing, not only in my own soul, but in the souls of so many of our brothers and sisters around the world, is the desire to come back into relationship with the, the nonviolence of Jesus's teaching right, right. Um, as, the, as the basis for true relationship and true transformation. Uh, and I must say, you know, when I'm when I'm doing um, sort of interfaith collaboration with teachers and with uh, faithful men and women of other traditions, they they often uh, are are greatly perplexed by what's happening in Christianity. Um, you know, why why is it you don't actually uh, follow what Jesus said about loving your enemy and about the path of nonviolence. Mm -hmm. So they're perplexed about us. I mean, you know, they they tend to be saying, you know, um, I mean, are you saying that you know something that Jesus didn't? I mean, are you, are you saying that are you saying that Jesus was naive on on the point of 
nonviolence as the basis for true transformation and relationship. Um, so they're perplexed at at us, and so they should be, um, mm-hmm. because um, you know, as Gandhi said, when Christianity went to the West, it became the religion of kings, mm-hmm. and um, and it's been used often to prop up the violence of empire. Um, so I think that there's a deep, deep desire in uh, within the the soul of the Christian household at this moment in time to really come back into relationship with Jesus's teachings about nonviolence. Um, and, you know, we're seeing the bankruptcy of, of, um, of violence um, yeah. uh, as a so-called basis for, for um, creating or sustaining peace in the world. Um, so I think, I think there's a tremendous uh, hunger on that front as well. I love how you refer to it as the household. Um, that That's just a great picture. And you wrote in uh, The Rebirthing of God, it's time for Christianity to make our offerings freely to the world, not on the basis of whether people become Christian and choose to enter our household, but on the basis of the gifts that we have to offer for the well-being of the world. Um mm like high five through the microphone on that one. Um, (laughs) You, uh, I mean, I mean, help me here because this is, this is a tough conversation in the West when, when you start laying it out like that. But, but we all know that in our, the deepest part of us, that sentence rings so true um, that, that uh, there is no distinguishing, right? That it's uh, if we are to be transformed then the litmus test has to be the fruits of the spirit. I mean, I, I've I've tried to walk people down this road, but I keep coming back to um, what do the fruits look like in your life? Is there more love, more peace, more patience, more kindness? These are the things that we must offer the world. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, I I think it's a cause of great hope that mm-hmm. uh, the. Uh, my children's generation, for instance, and my children are uh, uh, sort of ranging in age from early 20s to mid-30s. Um, what I uh, experience and, and observe and I'm so grateful for in so many in that generation is um, is that they, they're not looking for um, to sign up to a set of propositions uh, about God, <laughs> right. uh, what they're hungry for, and I think it's a it's a beautiful uh, and natural desire uh, that um, those of us in previous generations somehow sort of fell out of relationship with. But it's a natural desire to um, to experience truth, not not mm-hmm. to. Uh, claim to to know certain propositions about truth. I think that um, what I sense in that generation and so so much respect in it is the desire to know compassion, to yeah. know love, yeah. to know uh, the work of justice, uh, and uh, and th- this is a this is a great. Um, uh, intuition and search mm-hmm. going on in that generation um so uh, i think that um sort of touching back to an earlier point in our conversation about 
teachers from other traditions, they uh, they are enormously attracted to the wisdom of Jesus. Um, they want us to, you know, what they want from me in relationship is to learn more about this wisdom about nonviolence and about forgiveness and about compassion because they, uh, at a deep level within themselves, know that they're hearing from a great wisdom teacher when they hear such teachings. They're not looking to um, to uh, be in conversation or argument about the propositions that we've created <laughs> uh, about Jesus, statements about Jesus. Uh, and I, th- I think that, that there's this sort of stripping away of a lot of the propositional um, history of Christianity, and a desire to um, to 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 follow um, spiritual practices, for instance, that lead to experience of peace, mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. of compassion, experience of love. Yeah, yeah. That's there. There's a conversation that's well. What about these ten points? What about this belief? What about this doctrine? And I, and I think my generation is starting to say that that's not as interesting as actually tasting and seeing what happens when you offer dignity to someone that is different than you. Um, yes. when you, uh, when you are more concerned about connection and compassion than you are being correct. Um, yes. and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like covered in some bumps just thinking about this. I mean, this is, we, we, in those silent moments, I think when we're able to be still enough and to, as you say, listen to the heartbeat of God, these are the things we hear. These, this is the words that came from Jesus' mouth. These, this is the, that child, childlike faith. Um, yes. That I think uh, we are reawakening to, um, which is hard in a Western world that is so driven by competition, and markets <laughs> um yes. when you're like there's no competition there's nothing to prove and there's no market it just is um yeah wow yes one of one of the uh questions i'm i'm sometimes asked when people hear me speaking about the collapse of christianity as we have known it in the western world uh sometimes uh when when people hear this, they they will say to me, "But but what will happen to Jesus?" <laughs> and um, as if Jesus is dependent on on Christianity as we have known it. Right. And and I you know I always say in response, "Well, you know, we don't have to worry about Jesus. Jesus is all about resurrection. <laughs> right. Jesus is all about all about new life, new right. vision, new beginnings. That's right. Um, and uh, and I think that that you know we we should feel very liberated by that. Our, mm. uh, you know, our role is to serve um, uh, these gifts of of Jesus that 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 we can be part of offering to the world um, without uh, straitjacketing or mm. or um, without placing. Uh, conditions on the gift mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know well you know come within our four walls and and you can have the, the gifts of jesus 
um, instead of saying that we we can offer this great sort of wisdom and compassion uh, and love that is at the heart of Jesus's teaching with 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 without sort of religious conditions attached. Right. It it's almost just just dropping some of these rules that whether or not we've created them or not, it, it seems like somehow they've been given to us. Um, yes. And you're saying, hey, the table's long, there's always a seat. It's not about higher fences, it's about longer tables. Yes. Yeah. 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 Man. So um, my, I think the first book I read of yours was uh, Echo of the Soul. And... Like page one, I was going, how on earth have I not connected with John Philip Newell? This is, this is from another place. Um, you know, I, I felt as though that I was just reading deep, deep truth, deep, deep wisdom. Um, probably my favorite book of yours. Uh, what led you to write Echo of the Soul? Because it's kind of this book about the deep, mysterious experience of ourselves, of the body, of the soul, of, you know, just kind of the whole human experience. Um, walk me down the road of, of writing Echo of the Soul. Mm. Well, the, the, the title, to get back to the importance of titles, um, <laughs> the title is very much inspired by uh, an image that uh, one of the great uh, 9th century Irish teachers, John Scottus Erigena, uses he he speaks of the the body as an echo of the soul oh, yeah uh, and uh, so it uh, the body is passing you know it's born uh, it goes you know it dies uh, in that sense it's passing um, but it is uh, it, it carries within itself the echo yes of uh, something that is not passing, yes. and that is the light at the very heart of our being, uh, the 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 light um, that the darkness hasn't overcome the the light of the one, mm-hmm. and um, and it's very similar uh, to speak of the body as echo of the soul. It's very similar to something that we hear in our Hebrew uh, inheritance of wisdom, and that is the body is sometimes uh, described as um as the soul in its outward form um and in its physical form and uh i think both both of these uh, insights both from someone like Eugenia but also from our hebrew inheritance are wanting to insist that we hold spirit and matter together right um that we not um, allow ourselves to to uh, tear apart as so much of the dualism of our Western world and Western culture and Western religion ha- ha- have done. Um, so that the uh, a deep honoring, whether it is of the body of the earth or um, a deep honoring of the the um, bodies of those who are suffering today and looking for shelter and looking for hunger or deep honoring of the body of of another uh, w- uh, with whom we are in relationship and 
um, in, in the intimate relationships of our lives to to know that in uh, touching or handling or caring for the body of the other, we are in touch with uh, caring for for the the essence, yeah. um, the soul, um, the real heart of the other. Um, and I, you know, I I think that that book was written very much with an awareness that uh, that we're being invited to to move back into an insistence of the oneness of spirit and matter, the oneness of the divine and the human, the oneness of heaven and earth, and not uh, continue this sort of tragic dualism or separating of spirit and matter that has led to such an abuse of the earth, such a a subordination often of of the body, um, seen as their uh, either either just as a servant of of the soul or um at worst often seen as an enemy of the soul and and the sort of tragic consequences of doubting the deepest energies of our body and often the sort of tragic consequences of doubting the deepest energies of our of our uh, physical uh, of our sexual uh, uh, dimension mm. um this has wreaked havoc in in uh, in so many lives. And you know, I think on like page one, you write, "Our own being is rooted in the fathomless mystery of God's being. Our truest identity is deeper than name and definition." And mm. you've also written, I think, in another book somewhere that. God is both unnameable and omni-nameable, um, which must be true for us as well. <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we think about, uh, when we approach it from the lens of mystery, that um, it, it really is melting all things into one. As you talk about melting those places of, of tearing apart, of separation, that mm. it's like we can be named by love, and yet, we can be named by so many other things. Um, mm. Same for here, same for the cosmos, same for uh, each human that crosses our path. You want to walk down that road with me on kind of being in the made, made in the image of mystery, made in the image of God and the image of love. Mm. Yes, it was, uh, it was Meister Eckhart, the um, 14th century mystic that I was quoting. Um, Meister Eckhart says, God is both unnameable and omni-nameable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in, in that sort of simple uh, holding within one sentence, he's, he's, he's doing two uh, such important things. One, uh, one is to say that God is, God is always more than anything that can be said, uh, anything that can be imagined or named. Uh, and in that sense, God is other. other. God is transcendent. Uh, God is above anything that we can know or say. Uh, so he's he's um, celebrating what I think uh, the Christian household has has tried to do since the very beginning. Although we've often uh, failed in this, but but you know he's holding to 
a sense of transcendence, mm-hmm. of beyondness, of greater thanness. Um, but he he doesn't allow that to to become sort of unrooted in in a sense of the immanence of the sacred, the withinness of the sacred. Right. Um, so he he goes on to say, and and God is also omni-nameable. So Ashton is one of the names of the divine presence, uh, and mm-hmm. John Philip is another, and um, whoever we are with, um, whatever life form we're surrounded by, this is this is a name, this is an expression of the one um, who is at the very heart of all life, mm. expressing everything into being. Mm. Um, and that's not to inflate ourselves, that's, that's not about, um, uh, it, it's not an ego statement, it, it's um, primarily a remembering that our essence uh, is pure gift and, and our essence is expression of the one. Um, and um, you know we've been born. Um, I believe that you've been born, Ashton, because the world needs the expression of God that is at the heart of your being. Um, you know, so your your birth is not some sort of accident, or um, it is it is divine destiny. You know, you are here to express and embody in your thoughts and in your words and in your actions. Uh, what no one else can do, and and that's not to, that's not to do with inflating you. It's to say that at the heart of your being mm. is the holy, um, mm. and we're all being called back to 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 that sense of uh, of vocation or call mm-hmm. uh, in our thoughts and in our words and actions. Can you imagine our world if that was the message we led with <laughs> to everyone? Yes. Um, if that was the message at home, at school, at church, in social yeah. circles, uh, you you yeah. are needed. We need you. Um, yes. <laughs> you have purpose. Yes. Um, yeah. That 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 in itself. Uh, I mean, like, the, the chains that would break, the creativity yeah. that would unlock. Um, yes. Man, that's our work. And I think. Yes, and I, I think um, one of the great uh, creativities and liberations about uh, this ancient way of wisdom that that comes in the Celtic tradition, although we can, you know, we see it in many other traditions as well. But I, th- I think one of the great points of liberation for me is that we we don't have to create this light. We don't have to sort of create this sacredness Uh, our role is to liberate you know our our role is to set it free in one another it's already there um i mean meister eckhart this same one that we were just speaking of uh, says um god is to be found in the human soul not by addition but by subtraction that's right Uh, and and by that he's meaning we don't need to add anything um to our depths I don't need to add anything to the depths of any human being. My role is to be part of a birthing um, uh, and to use one of Jesus's mantras. It's about being born again. It's about what is deepest in the other coming forth again. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm all in favor of 
trying to reclaim that central mantra of Jesus because it's uh, it's been hijacked and has been used often to give the impression that we need to become something other than ourselves. Um, but I think Jesus as a rabbi, um, his starting point was not the doctrine of original sin. His starting point was the Hebrew belief uh, that I believe is also at the heart of our Christian household, and that is that what is deepest in us is of God. So when he speaks of being born anew, he's speaking of what is deepest coming forth again. I 100% agree. Um, mm. So, so good. One of one of my mantras is that our, our days need to be more and more about less and less. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, that less and less is, is the light is love, is liberation. Um, and that's your work, John Philip. I, I, um, I hope you can sense the gratitude that I have for you and your work in the world. It's been such a gift to me and my family um, and my life. I, I ask everyone of our guests uh, this question, and, and that is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Mm. Yes, um, that's a great question. Um, I I would um, looking looking back on my my journey, and um, I'm increasingly aware of the fact that my uh, I'm journeying into a new season in my life. I've I, I've I've been sort of raised to a new status in the universe. I've become a grandfather. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, what a blessing that that is to, um, to see these little ones uh, emerging somehow in and through our family. But um, they've also come from a deeper place, you know, um, and they they are these wonderful expressions. So I I think looking back on on my journey, um, I would want to, um, if I if I could have somehow offered advice to my younger self, um, uh, I would have uh, wanted to um, I would want to have affirmed the um, the vision that was with me as a younger man. Um, about uh, passion for justice, passion for peace. Um, I would have wanted to say that that is a beautiful vision and, and, and it's a holy desire that you have. I think my advice would have been, uh, but it doesn't depend so much on what you have to say or do. Um, your role is to is to liberate it, to mm. set free this flow that's already there. It, uh, this flow of the sacred that is already at the heart, even of those with whom you most passionately disagree. It's there, mm. and um, know the liberation of that. That doesn't that doesn't mean that we don't do the costly work of uh, getting on with loving one another and serving that sacredness but it does um it does mean that we're we're set free from the sort of heavy weight of the, uh 
that can so so easily slip into self-righteousness as well. And that is, uh, I need to tell the world what it needs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and essentially it needs to become, you know, like me or uh, like what I know or what my vision is. So I think I think that's what I would mm. um that's the advice I would offer to my younger self um uh both to say yes how beautiful that you uh you longed for and gave yourself to work for passion you know for justice and peace um but the way to to set it in in motion mm. is is primarily a liberating work um, right not not a preaching against type work. I think Father Richard Orr says, you know, we're, we're off the hook. You don't have to push the river. The river's already moving. <laughs> um, yeah. you, ju- you just have to be a, a channel, a conduit um, of that of that divine flow. Um, yeah. Which is yeah. our great work, I guess. Surrender and letting go is how you become that channel. <laughs> That's right. Um Eugene, this ninth century teacher that I've referred to, um, he loves to play with words, and uh, one of the words he loves to play with is the Greek uh, word for God, theos, and says he says that theos is derived from the, the verb theo, uh, which means to flow, mm. um, because God mm. is the, the flow, this sort of subterranean flow deep within all things. Let's go. That's and, good. Oh, yes, <laughs> and uh, uh, Kenneth White, um, the Scottish poet, uh, plays further on on Erigina, and um, he says God is not only the flow, but God is the the glow flow, mm. <laughs> the mercy, the sort of flow flow of light within all things. And um, wow, I I can't place myself in the same category as Erigina and, and Kenneth White, but I play yet further on their playfulness and and say we need to let go to the glow flow <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 some good r&b you got there john philip i think we could turn that into some type of uh pop song or something um, yeah that's right i just wrote down these notes subterranean flow intergalactical glow um i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to do something with those two that's that's too good. Um, yeah, that's right. Wow. I, I sense that it is coming, Ashton. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so good. So um, for those of us that maybe want to follow you and follow your work, um, where's the best place for us to get our listeners connected with you and the work you're doing in the world? Would that be your website? Yeah, there are really two two ways. Uh, one is the website um, which has been created by the little foundation that exists to sort of um, come alongside my vision and and um, uh, try to implement aspects of the vision, and that's called uh, Heartbeat. So the the foundation uh, has a website uh, called HeartbeatJourney.org. Um, and but the simplest way, of course, is just to Google my name, John Philip Newell, and the first site it takes you to is Heartbeat Journey, and and that that has all the all the propaganda. I mean, you know, the, all the publications, yeah. and recordings, and uh, lists all the events and so on. 
The other thing I'd, I'd love to mention briefly, and it's, it's the real uh, focus of so much of my work at this season in my life, instead of zooming all over the place, um, I'm trying to just focus on moving deeper, uh, especially with those who want to study more intentionally the, the wisdom of our Celtic Christian inheritance and want to deepen practice and want to translate that vision and practice into action. Um, I've established the uh, School of Celtic Consciousness and uh, the school is um, is now sort of uh, based in a number of places, California in the winter. I'm I'm there always doing some teaching in the winter. Colorado in the spring, Connecticut in the summer, Virginia in the autumn. Hmm. And uh, so, but um, anyone interested will find out details about the School of Celtic Consciousness. It's a three-day residential school in those four places every year. And um, it's, uh, you know, we're calling it a school um, because what I believe we need at this moment in time is much greater intentionality about let's, let's really learn from the wisdom that is within our household to, to, um, to access. And let's, um, and let's really root this study in spiritual practice methods of, uh, silence and contemplative prayer, and let's um, channel both this wisdom and the spiritual practice into compassion and action. Um, so that that's the focus of the the school and um, uh, those four locations plus the the three um, annual pilgrimage weeks on Iona. Um, I'd love to invite everyone to Iona, but everyone can't come. Um, at the same time, anyway, it's a small <laughs> island. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, between Iona and the School of Celtic Consciousness, uh, you and I are going to meet one day in the very near future. I, I, uh, it is, I'm, I'm going to find a way to get that on the calendar, maybe bring some friends with me to come. Uh, well, I hope so. Join, join that time with you. Um, so kind of a new practice. And, um, I, I... I should say, Ashton, about the schools and about the pilgrimage, um, that we have scholarship funds okay. for all Beautiful. of all of those, and uh, I'm very keen that the, these events, these experiences, not be limited in any sense by by whether one has the financial resources to be there. So there are scholarship programs um, with that with that vision in mind. So very kind. Beautiful. Um, so kind of a new tradition we're, we're starting here as we have more wisdom teachers uh, and individuals like yourself join us is kind of asking you to send us off with some form of benediction or a word of wisdom as we go. Um, I, I'm loving this tradition and just giving our guest an opportunity uh, for our listeners to leave wherever they're at across the planet um, with whatever type of blessing or benediction stirs within your soul for us. Would you be uh, willing to do that? Thank you. More than willing. I'd be delighted. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Uh, it's uh, it's all yours. 
I'd like to offer uh, an ancient blessing that comes down uh, in the oral tradition in the Western Isles of Scotland, uh, which Iona is part of. This is a blessing for peace. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the sun of peace to you. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Philip. Make sure you go to his website, heartbeatjourney.org. You'll find everything you need to know uh, about the beautiful work that he's putting into the world and all the things that he'll be hosting over the next year or so. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.